0: It's time to turn off the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve in the world of horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horror-flying flicks. If you've made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you mix camp, scares, and a ton of gore? Why, you get The Evil Dead. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. And yes, it is October, and we are focusing on the Evil Dead franchise. Now, I had a lot of ideas, kind of like I explained at the end of the last episode, or if you didn't hear it, I wanted to go through a couple different themes, and I was just kind of going around, and I know there are other podcasts doing similar themes, or, you know, everybody right now is kind of doing the thirty-one, thirty-one, or the 31 Nights of Horror, including me. And for that, I have a specific theme that I wanted to do, which was 80s horror. So for that, I'm kind of delving into the world of different 80s horror movies and doing little mini-reviews on the YouTube channel, while I wanted to do something a little more special for the Halloween time. And, you know, originally, actually the very first thought that I have was, we're going to have a zombie-ween, and we're going to do nothing but rob zombie films, but... You know, I talked to a couple people, and there was, again, a couple other podcasts that were doing some Rob Zombie stuff, and then I didn't know if I would be able to get my hands on, um, you know, the three from hell in time to do one episode of the podcast, because I wanted to do all, you know, three from that trilogy, and then just have one of his other movies be like the other guy kind of in the room for that one, and decided, you know what, I'm going to hold off on it because I'll be able to do all three, you know, after this month. And probably sometime next year, we will have a month where it's going to be nothing but Rob Zombie. And we're going to do four Rob Zombie films for the month. So I thought, okay, I'm going to push that back. And then I kind of thought, well, I could do John Carpenter films because I really haven't done anything from John Carpenter. I mean, I did Halloween, but I did Rob Zombie's version There's nothing I've really kind of done for him. And I thought, you know, I could mix it up. I could do some good ones, some bad ones, um, you know, and everything in between. And then I was kind of like, uh, do I really want to do it? You know, if I'm going to do Carpenter, I don't want to just search out for four films and kind of rush myself at that point. And then I started thinking about, well, if I'm doing this 80s theme for the 31 Nights of Horror... What could I tie back? Like, how could I get out of there? Um, Well, that's where I thought about it, and I was like, hey, you know what? Why don't I do The Evil Dead? I've always wanted to do it. I've talked about doing it before, and this just gives me another reason to actually be a part of it and actually do these set of films. And plus, there's one of them I wanted to to talk about for the longest time, and that was the 2013 remake. Now, I know how people feel about that one. It's really kind of down the middle, so we'll talk more about that one when we get to it. And when I thought about that, I was like, this is the perfect opportunity because I want to talk about these films. Cuz this is a franchise that I absolutely love. It was probably I would almost say one of the first set of films like that I remember being allowed to like kind of go to kind of watch That were overtly gory. And some of them I have like. I only saw because other people had really been into them at the time. And while there are a couple that are a little. I don't know how you want to say it. uh, Weird. You know. There's definitely one of them that's my favorite. Mostly for nostalgia reasons. But there were. It's a franchise that. It's one of the first that I can remember. That I have a central figure. That I'm really like. (laughs) <laughs> in love with is kind of the weird thing to say but i really like the character of ash and i i don't know there's a weird connection to that character that i really really enjoyed and it's been throughout all of the films but i've kind of watched them out of order to be honest with you and the first one that i saw was actually army of darkness and had no idea that it was connected to two other movies and then i kind of went backwards i then saw uh, Evil Dead 2, and then I saw The Evil Dead. So, it was really weird when you came to this film, and the first time that I think I saw The Evil Dead was, oh god, I want to say like sophomore year of college was the first time I had ever seen it, and and I think that was way too long to wait, like, I understand, it came out in 81, and that's a film that's, you know, (laughs) I was way too young to be watching any type of movies at that age. But really, I feel like the way that I've kind of gone through the series, that it should have been a movie that I saw almost directly after I saw Army of Darkness. Like, it's just, it is iconic in a way that I feel like if you haven't seen it yet, and you wanted to see it, you should be seeing it as soon as possible. Like, it's definitely has its, the way that I would compare it for a lot of people, and maybe some people are going to get this, in the way that I'm going to say it, but I'm going to compare it to the Beatles, right? Yes, I understand this is me maybe making a stretch, but I'm going to do it from the direction of how I feel about the Beatles. I'm not a big fan, okay? Never have been. Uh, my parents were. You know, my wife l- likes the music. I just am kind of in the middle. But what I've come to like understand over the years is that they have their place in music and they have like, things that they've brought to the genre. And Sam Raimi, however you feel about him, and however you feel about the Evil Dead franchise, it really has its place in time, and it has its, like, effect on the film industry. Because this was an extremely low budget. This first one, really, really low budget. I mean, we're talking in between about $350,000 to $400,000 that it was made for. And what you see, yes... It doesn't necessarily have all the special effects of something around that time like a Nightmare on Elm Street or even a Friday the 13th or a Halloween style movie or even some of these other 80s horror that I've been watching recently. Like, I would even say that a movie like Slumber Party Massacre has a bigger budget than this film does, yet this has left such a big stamp on the horror industry and then filmmaking just in general, so... I understand there might be a lot of hype for a lot of people where it's like, oh my god, you know, I can't believe that you think that this movie here that you're watching is such a great film. It truly is. But, you know, it was done for almost nothing. And it influenced a lot of people that you probably are watching now, including the director of the film that we're going to watch for next week. uh, Especially since he's doing a remake of this movie. So, It's really, like, it has its place in time. I get it. But I truly do regard this film, and the whole franchise in general, as one of the greatest horror franchises that are out there. For me, it's consistency in terms of quality and how it gains in quality in each episode. And I understand a lot of people probably really dislike Army of Darkness, but there's something really in my heart with that film that is like, why I love it so much, um, and especially since we're going to be looking at the director's cuts. But that's for much, much later on in the month. So let's go ahead and just kind of jump into, you know, The Evil Dead. Now, this stars a relatively unknown cast, but of course, you know, your main actor in this movie, the guy that plays the titular hero for all the franchise, Ash, is played by the one and only Bruce Campbell. Uh, What else can be said about Bruce Campbell that you don't already know about him, but the guy is just one of the greatest B-movie actors that's ever existed. If you've never seen Bubba Hotep before, you need to go ahead and go out and watch that movie. It's fantastic. He plays Elvis. Yes, that Elvis, uh, who really... You know, the impersonator was killed many years ago, ago, and he's now inside of a retirement community where he meets JFK that's been transferred into the body of a black gentleman uh, because that's what the CIA did to cover up his murder. And they find themselves fighting against an ancient Egypt, uh, like, I don't know, if you want to say it, a god, monster, whatever it is, uh, that sucks the souls out of people through their asshole. (laughs) It sounds out of, like, left field, but it's such a good movie, and it deals with death in such a beautiful way that you you have to see this film, and it's so well acted by Bruce that it's worth your time. There's also My Name is Bruce, uh, which is a great, you know, kind of little, small, campy type of movie, um, kind of on the lines of this, where, you know, everybody thinks that he's really Ash. You know, or he embodies the persona of Ash, and he's really just the actor Bruce Campbell. So he's himself playing a version of himself, where everybody thinks that you know he fights demons like Ash. Uh, That's a very good film as well. And then you know he's done a lot of like little things. He was in Congo. We already talked about him in Congo, and that's kind of also where this idea came from too. When we saw him there, and I kind of like, oh, I should do the Evil Dead movies, and then here we go, we're doing them again. So. Really, this is the only guy that you're really going to know. Um, it also stars Ellen Sandvice, uh, Dirick, Betsy Baker, and Teresa Tilly. And you're pretty much focused on these five characters the entire time that you're inside the cabin. Now, maybe the bonus for you, it's definitely a little bit of bonus for me, not so much, I guess, um, is that there aren't a whole lot of clips for this episode. Because honestly, there's not a whole lot of dialogue in this movie, which is good and, you know, it's bad at some points because I've got to go more off of, you know, a, a kind of, I don't want to be a truncated thing, but, you know, there's not as much that I can convey when you're just kind of going through scenes and so maybe there might be some things that I skip over because either I plumb just forget to mention something or I don't feel like it's necessarily relevant to everything that's going on and we'll try to go, you know, as much as we can with it Um, I love having a lot of clips just because I love playing off them. But there might be some long ones in here uh, to go with everything. So the beginning of the movie, it starts with the all famous Sam Raimi cam and what I mean by that is where you're actually in the embodiment of whatever the evil is or however it's going and it's just that sweeping camera and it's constant through the Evil Dead movies you'll see it all the time and you see it in a lot of movies nowadays where the evil entity whether it's a spirit or it's a monster or whatever you're from that perspective but it like kind of moves and travels fast and it's traveling through the forest and it's making its noise as it's going along and you see the cabin that's in the woods That these people are going to be heading to But it basically follows up into everybody All the teens that are inside the truck Well, I don't know They're not necessarily teens I could say they're teenagers But they're more like students They're Michigan State students So they could be in their, like, 20s They could be college grads That are just trying to get their, you know Their master's or their PhD or whatever Whatever the fuck they are They're a bunch of kids in a fucking car What the fuck do you want from me, okay? So they're all in a car they're singing, and of course, something happens when the evil takes over the wheel.
1: 20 letters from Paris last year Well, you've been gone six months And I got the fear after all the songs that we've sung together After all the sweet and all the stormy If I knew where you were, well, I would surely inform you that... But
2: every, every night, night don't, don't you sleep on your bed, do Hey, uh, Ash, where are we? Well, we just crossed the Tennessee border. Which would put us... <laughs> yeah. Put uh right Here.
0: You know, I had no idea that David Draymond was one of the demons that was working on this film. You can hear him in the background going, ooh, ah! <laughs> That's a terrible version of that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, but. <laughs> fucking leave it in um but you have the like it, the floating demon cam is going around and it's getting closer and closer to them and then when they're about to make that turn that's when you know demon take the wheel over here and it tries to drive them directly into the car he's able to gain control and he drives out of the way and then he waves at the truck like hey asshole you almost hit us now honestly I do get his, like, point of view, because, you know, they were losing control of the car, and that truck didn't even bother to try to fucking stop. It was just back there, oh, hey, look, there's a crazy-ass fucking car coming my way, I'm not gonna swerve one way or the other, I'm just gonna plow through that motherfucker, because, hey, I've got so much of a bigger vehicle, they're just a bunch of fucking young kids, and they'll still get out of the way. I mean, the main character's in the goddamn car, he's the final boy to survive, so what the hell, I'm not going to kill them so he kind of waves at the damn truck like, what the fuck are you doing and then two people on the side of the road wave back and he's like, I didn't wave at you assholes, and that happens to be Scott over there driving the car and is it everybody know, Scott's a dick okay, if South Park has taught me anything Scott's a fucking dick so he, you know, they're going to continue on driving and he's going to explain a little more of this fantabulous weekend that they're going to be all spending together
2: Hey, Scotty, what's this place like, anyway?
0: Well, the guy that's renting it says it's an old
1: place. A little run down, but it's right up in the mountains. And the best part is we get it so cheap. Yeah, why are we getting it so cheap? Well, I don't know.
2: Might be in real bad shape.
1: You mean nobody's seen this place yet?
2: Well, not yet. Well, it might not be that bad. No. Actually, it might be
1: kind of nice. Yeah. It's probably a real pit. Yeah, I think this is where we get off.
2: This is the bridge we're going to cross. Jesus Christ, the whole thing's falling apart on us. Don't let the noise fool you, girls. This thing is solid as a rock.
0: Solid. Solid like a rock. No, that bridge definitely is not. It's falling apart. And the car almost gets caught falling through the bridge. Well, one of the tires does. Now, what I really do like about this scene, kind of going (laughs) at the end of the bridge scene, is you kind of get an automatic connection to the characters right from the get-go. Like, you like all the characters. They all have a good rapport with each other, you know, and maybe it's because I've also seen it so many goddamn times that I understand where the character's gonna go towards the end of the movie, but... It definitely, like, they're trying to bring you slowly into them. You don't know that Scott's quite the dick just yet, but he has a little bit in him and the way that he's acting and the way the mannerisms he's doing. We have, you know, we're meant to kind of like Ash right away just because, you know, he's in there in the back. He's kind of goofy. He's got that good comedic timing when he looks down and the bridge, the, the wheel has gotten, you know, through part of the bridge where he could just get out and help push the damn car to make sure the bridge doesn't, like, collapse while the car's on top of it. But no, he just gets right back into the car. Like, he does that really, like, it's a ridiculous take when he's looking like, ooh, 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 like, what's going on, (laughs) you know? Uh, It's almost like he's a weird personification of, like, Shaggy, right? He has that type of, like, scarediness, and that's something that you'll know about this version of Ash throughout the movie is that, for the most part, he's scared as shit. Like, he's not a brave fucking man. And you get that right from the beginning of the film. You know that that's probably going to affect him at least at some point later on in the film. But here, it just allows you to gain a connection directly to him. Like, even in that situation, you probably would do the same thing. You've got a car full of people. You're trying to assure them that, hey, everything is okay with the bridge. And then all of a sudden, your car actually goes through a piece of the bridge. And a bunch of the bridge underneath is falling directly into the water. And you're just like, oh, it's fucking nothing. Don't worry about it. Just keep driving. Everything will be fine. So they go over the bridge and they eventually get over there to the cabin. And while in the cabin, they're basically setting up. They find that the keys are on the top of the door uh, and they let themselves in. Everybody kind of goes to their own rooms and we see that Shirley, she's sitting down in one of the rooms and she's drawing a clock that's on the wall. While she's sitting there and she's drawing the clock, all of a sudden the clock stops. And what I like about this, and maybe it's a spoiler for other parts in the movie, but the clock, it never moves until the ending of the film. It never gains any type of momentum as you're watching the film. It just locks into that position while she's drawing on the paper. And what she's drawing, of course, is the Book of the Dead, But it doesn't really look like anything. Like, you can see it looks like there's, like, an outline of, like, a box. And there's a little bit of, like, 3D-ness she's trying to do. And then she tries to draw a face, but it's all kind of fucked up. But she's more, like, stabbing the paper through than anything else. So it's weird. It's kind of... An interesting device to put into the film, like to get this across to you, that there's definitely something that's not wrong. Because she's also hearing voices in the background as well. You know, they're going and yelling, or whispering to her, join us, join us. And she's busy, like, hearing that and then scratching the book into the paper. So, of course, she kind of gets freaked out. And that's where we learn in, in the next scene that Scott totally is a fucking dick.
1: That Will you stop
2: it? Uh, I would like very much to make a toast here for oh, okay. all this evening. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That sounds nice.
2: Uh, as a Greek friend of mine once said, uh, he said, I... No, oh, okay, okay, okay. Nis, nis. 2 <laughs> too. <laughs> To Tarim
1: (laughs) Which means Party down (laughs) What is this?
2: Whatever it is, it's still down there. I don't like cellars. Let's just close it up. It's probably just
1: some animal. An animal? An animal! (laughs) That is the stupidest thing I ever heard of. Jesus Christ.
2: There's something down there.
1: Maybe it is just some animal. Yeah, you're probably right. Probably just some animal. Here, Shirley. why don't you go down and check, make sure. Scotty, I'm not going down
2: there. Okay, okay, you cowards. I'll go.
0: So after Shirley has had this, you know, experience in the room where she's drawing the damn thing on top of the paper, really scratching it into the paper more than anything, it's weird that Scott knows exactly what's gone on down there, right? Because he starts that whole conversation with the dinner off with, there are bodies in the cellar. Bodies in the cellar. But yet we have no indication that she said anything. So the assumption is, is that she hasn't really talked about it at all or she told Scott for some reason and then Scott's just a fucking dick and he goes through and tries to scare her and he even tries to scare her again because while they're having that dinner and they're making the toast all of a sudden the basement door just flies fucking open like this is fucking cabin in the woods or some shit like that there's somebody back there pulling the strings uh, we gotta open the door at this point to make sure that they go downstairs and of course their dumbasses go downstairs if some shit just randomly open I don't care what the fuck it is if it's wind if it's a goddamn animal that's outside it's a demonic force trying to possess me if it's my wife trying to make me go and do the laundry i'm not going fucking down there i'm not doing shit okay i'm gonna stay away if that door randomly flies the fuck open it, I, it doesn't make any sense just fucking close it latch it be done with it and don't disturb shit but of course this is a fucking horror movie so what is every good beginning gonna do oh scott's gonna try to make the girl that's fucking scared go downstairs what kind of bullshit is that So, he tries to hand her the flashlight, and she's like, fuck you, I'm not gonna do it. Way to go, fucking Shirley. You're fucking smart. You don't go fucking down there. So, Scott, you're fucking stupid, so you're gonna go fucking down there. And he does go down there with a flashlight. And then when he doesn't return within, like, the one or two minutes of the scene, probably more like the 30 seconds of the scene, then... All of a sudden, they're going to send another person down there because, you know, if somebody got mauled to death by something, you want to send somebody else down there to make sure that they get mauled to death too. Maybe we can have like a mauled to death-like train going down there. You just, okay, he's not back. Here comes the next guy. Choo-choo. Fucking maul him to death too. you got the next person. Choo-choo. Get your ass down there. It's time for you to get fucking mauled. Maybe they'll maul him in the dick. Oh, that's just another thing you don't do. So... Ash, he tries to get somebody else to go down. They're like, well, maybe you should go check on him. And of course, he goes down there to check on Scott. And it's really weird because when he does go down there, they don't have another flashlight, right? So he asks for the lantern. And the lantern is perfectly lit, but nobody really lit it. And I don't know if the lantern was being used to light up the rest of the cabin. I really don't know. It's kind of odd in this regard. And then when he goes down there... I get it, it's a movie, they need to light things in a certain way, but it's like perfectly lit, even without the goddamn lantern. Like, there are lights, definitely floodlights over this place, highlighting certain sections of the whole basement that's down there. So we go searching around down the basement, trying to see if he can find Scott, and of course we get a jump scare where Scott scares Ash, but shows him the stuff that he's found down there. And he shows them a bunch of tapes that he found, and and there is the Book of the Dead um amongst that there's also a hills have eyes poster that's on the wall that's completely torn but it's a really cool nod to a really fantastic movie and a really fantastic director in his own right and you can tell there's a lot of love for the genre here with ramey just in the way that he frames stuff and also including little easter eggs like that throughout the film so they take everything upstairs, and that's where they decide that the best idea for everything here is to start playing the like, creepy-ass fucking recording that they found in the basement next to a book bound in human flesh with pictures of demons all inside of it.
1: This guy was a real turd. Everybody hates it. Yeah, every time like, he, like, he, like you, he, kind of. Yeah, just like me. I'm gonna break your face. He's into, what, also, what he's into this western stuff. He makes all these little models. Okay, shh, listen to this. This is the tape I found downstairs.
2: It has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandar with a group of my colleagues. Now my wife and I have retreated to a small cabin in the solitude of these mountains. Here I continued my research, undisturbed by the myriad distractions of modern civilization and far from the groves of Academe. I believe I have made a significant find in the Kandarian runes, a volume of ancient Sumerian burial practices and funerary incantations. It is entitled, "Naturan de Manto, roughly translated... Book of the Dead. The book is bound in human flesh and inked in human blood. It deals with demons, demon resurrection and those forces which roam the forest and dark bowers of man's domain. The first few pages warn that these enduring creatures may lie dormant but are never truly dead. They may be recalled to active life through the incantations presented in this book. It is through recitation of these passages that the demons are given license to possess the living.
1: Hey, what you do that for? It's just getting good.
2: I just don't want to hear it anymore, that's all. Scott, come on. man.
1: Hey, come on. I just want to hear the rest of it. No big deal.
2: Tatra, bin Hazarta. Tatir Mando, Mansi Zon hasan so far. Saman the Robza, Dar his Haiker than the Rodza. Ganda
1: Shut it off.
2: Kanda.
1: Shut it off.
2: Kanda. Shut it off. Cheryl, where are you going? I can't believe this. Scott, you knew not to play that. I mean, come on, you knew it was upsetting, and you just don't know when you're taking
1: something too far. Hey, don't give me that. You were playing it too. You could have shut it off. I big deal. She's nuts. I mean, it's just a joke. Come on. Jesus Christ. She acts like she's three years old or something.
0: So, one of the things I forgot that they brought upstairs was this ritual knife. And again, would you play the tape when you see, like, next to it, a ritual knife, which Scott does joke saying, hey, it looks like your ex, and there's a bunch of fucking skulls on the top of that goddamn knife, and that's what you're going to expect everything to be? Oh, hey, hey, I'm going to fucking laugh at this bullshit? Like, come on. At least, you know, say it's like your ex's mom or something like that. You know, I don't know, make something that's more of a joke rather than just, hey, look at all these ghouls and fucking skeletons here. It looks like your ex. Remember the one that you fucking killed? Like, what are you trying to say when you say that? So the other thing is, is like, she asks Cheryl asked for the tape to be turned the fuck off. Like, they do stop the tape. Well, she reaches over and she stops the tape and that gets Scott upset. And then he plays the rest of it, which is obviously some like demon fucking cantation that's going on here. What the fuck is wrong with you, Scott? Why wouldn't you just stop when she said fucking stop it? Like, she's grabbing her fucking head, she's screaming a lot, and you still won't do shit? And then you look at Ash, oh, you would've played the whole thing. He wasn't playing the tape any of a fucking further. It was stopped. He left it alone. That's his fucking sister. You're gonna listen to your fucking sister. You're gonna be like, all right, you know what? Even growing up, Okay, when you your sister does something fucking stupid and ridiculous, and I should know because my sister did a lot of stupid fucking ridiculous things, as I did probably in her eyes, but at some point, you just have to let some shit go. Like, if they want you to stop doing something or they want one of your friends to stop doing something, you say, hey dude, you know, stop this shit because it's fucking bothering her. And that's what's going on here stop this shit because it's fucking bothering her but instead no he's got to be a big fucking dick and he's got to be the one that's right because he's having fun learning about demons and fucking bullshit like that and weird satanic rituals that are gonna fucking rouse a fucking demon he goes ahead and plays the tape and guess what he fucking does he brings a fucking demon to life you see it outside the ground starts breaking open the red lights pop up that can't be fucking good and of course he's not seeing it inside but again you're playing a tape next to a book wrapped in human fucking flesh. Are you that fucking stupid? Yes, you are that fucking stupid to just go there and and try to, like, come on, like, really... We were in these ancient, you know, cacodemon ruins, whatever the fuck they're called. If uh, not cacodemons. Uh, that's completely a different movie, and that's a Kevin Smith joint. But nonetheless... We're we're here with all these things and there's all this ritual shit that's going on. And yet I'm going to go ahead and just play the rest of this fucking tape instead of just let things fucking go. But then again, it wouldn't be a fucking horror movie if somebody didn't do something really fucking stupid. So the tree crashes through the window and everybody's fucking upset. So it's time for everybody just to go to bed Let's just go tomorrow morning, everything will be okay, we won't have to worry about it. But of course, there's an outside shot and you see that the moon, it's slowly being covered with blackness. It's not clouds, it's not everything like covering it, it just literally looks like it's filling up with like a dark ink. It actually is one of the more pretty shots in the film. And it's one of the more poignant shots, which does get kind of reused a little bit later on in the film as well. So we're outside and now all of a sudden, since the demonic force has been arisen, we've got the demon camera back up and running. And the demon camera is outside and it is a fucking peeping Tom. Like, all it's doing is fucking looking in on everybody as they're fucking changing or doing whatever. They make sure to go over into one of the rooms where Scott's girlfriend, she's there. She's the only one that gets anything out. And they make sure to focus in on that shot because the demon hasn't seen any type of titty in in any long time. I mean, it just came back from the dead. I guess if that's what you were into, that's probably the first thing that you want to see. Before the demon starts really looking in on everybody, though, we do get kind of a heartfelt scene between Ash and his girlfriend, Linda, and we see that he's presented her with, like, a gift. What it kind of looks like he's preparing himself to do is, like, propose to her, but then it's, like, some shitty fucking magnifying lens, like, necklace, where she looks like, oh, it's very nice, it's like, bitch, you know you're just saying that. You know that's a piece of shit gift, and that was just something that you could afford on a fucking student salary, so you're just being nice about it all because you love him, okay? You know, if it was anything else, if it was like an engagement gift, and there was only one fucking stone on that thing, you'd be fucking pissed. Would you still accept it from Ash? I probably would accept it from Bruce Campbell. You know, we could live a long, happy life together. You know, chin and husband. Everything would be great. Uh, but it's one of those things that's just like the scene leading up to it, like her getting the gift is exactly like another scene that happens later in the film where he is like peeking and then like pretending to be asleep and then peeking and pretending to be asleep. And it's really playful in the way that he's doing it with her. And eventually she does catch on that he is awake, you know, cause he, he sends her to go do something. And then when she comes back, he's like asleep with the gift hanging out there. And honestly, it looks like it was set up to be like an engagement type of question, but it turns out it's just a shitty necklace. So from here we go over to Cheryl after we pan the different rooms, right? So after they finish their gift-giving little thing and they're going to bed for the night, they pan to the middle room. And that's where you go ahead and see what's-her-name's boobs. And then you go over to Cheryl's room and she's the third wheel in the entire situation. Or fifth wheel, I guess, because there's two couples and then her. But she's got her own room and she's getting ready to turn in for the night. And she starts hearing noises again out in the forest. So what does she do? Does she just chill inside her room and just wait for no- morning to come? Take a nice little uh, siesta and make sure that she actually gets a good night's sleep? Or does she throw on a robe and go outside and have shit happen to her outside? Well, if you said option number one, you are completely and utterly fucking wrong because you know what type of movie this is. Come on. Of course she's going to go fucking outside. And it's, this leads to probably the most memorable scene from the movie and probably the worst scene from the movie. Um Again, this is, it's 1981, so I could make 1981 jokes if I wanted to, but I'm, Gonna be pretty civil with this one. If you really want to know what the joke was, just hit me up. and I can tell you on the side. Um, But she goes outside, and that's where she hears more voices in the woods. And then the rough stuff happens.
1: I know someone's out there. I heard you. I heard you in the cellar.
0: So, this is where Cheryl gets attacked and raped by the trees. The demons possess the trees. They wrap her hands and wrap her legs. It is pretty graphic and pretty brutal to watch, even in nowadays times. Like, it's just... I. It's one of those things where it's a sign of the times. At the same time, it's like, okay, interesting. Tree rape. Like, why would you put that in, in the film? It... I get it. You want people to be scared and you want to show that the monsters can be anything and everything. And they were kind of preying on what like maybe a fear of a character is. She goes out into the woods. She hears noises. She thinks it's going to be human. You know, maybe she's fearing that there's a man out there. That's like a killer or going to be doing something. And it turns out it's completely supernatural and it happens to be a tree that ends up doing stuff to her. Like I said, It's pretty graphic in in, not that you see a whole lot, but like literally you see her arms get like wrapped around and then spread apart and then they wrap around her legs. I mean, they start ripping off all the clothes off of Cheryl. You know, she gets her her shirt torn quite a bit. And then she's trying to keep her legs closed and two of the like vines come out and just spread her legs open where she gets stabbed directly down there with a tree branch. It's really, really rough to watch even now. Like I was squirming a little bit in my chair, you know, while I was watching the sequence go through and I've seen it so many times and this ste- this little scene right here still shocks the hell out of me. So she manages to get away from the trees once they've done their deed. And then she runs inside the cabin where everybody's waking up uh, to her screaming maniacally. And she just wants to go the fuck home. And I don't fucking blame her.
2: What the hell happened to you? Cheryl, what's the matter
0: with you? Did something in the woods do this
2: to you?
1: No, it was the woods themselves. <laughs> They're alive, Ashley. The trees.
2: They're alive. Ash, why don't I take her in the back room so she can lie down? I'm not lying down. I want to get out of here. I want to leave this place right now. Right now, Ashley.
1: Wait a minute. I sure as hell am not leaving any place tonight.
2: Cheryl, Cheryl. Look, Cheryl, there's nothing out there. Trees do not attack people. Ashley, will you drive me into town or not? But right now? Yeah, look, sure, sure, I'll take you into town, but just listen to what you're saying. I don't
1: care how it sounds. I want to get out of this place right now. Okay,
2: you can stay somewhere in town tonight.
0: Huh? Now, there's a crazy thing that happens kind of at the beginning of the sequence. because She's trying to get into the house as she's running away from the trees. And she's pounding on the door, nobody's answering the door, and then she remembers, smartly enough, she's probably one of the smartest women in horror that i've experienced in quite some time and the reason being is i'm watching so many goddamn 80s slashers that every single one of those fucking women are dumb as fucking rocks except for the final girl but here she's like running away she figures out when she's able to break free from the trees and when she can't get inside instead of just standing out there constantly pounding on the door trying to wake something up She remembers that the keys are on the top of the door, so she grabs them and gets the keys and is able to open, but what she didn't remember is that she came out of the back fucking door and didn't lock shit. So there's another exit to the place that she went out to go into the goddamn forest. Instead of coming through the front door, she should have just ran to the back or told somebody, hey, the back door's unlocked, just want to let you know to make sure that you can get your asses out in case anything happens or make sure nothing comes in the fucking house. So, you know, back doors open. Miners will fucking come in. So she convinces Ash. Well, Ash really just wants to be like, you know what? Okay, she's being hysterical. I'm just going to go ahead and take her to town. We'll make sure we get her in the morning. And so she goes out to the car and the car all of a sudden doesn't start. And then she looks over at him. And she says, they don't want us to leave. That's why the car is not starting. And then... The car starts up, making her look kind of crazy. So they drive through the forest, they're going along the path, and eventually they get to the bridge that first let them in there. And who would have thought the bridge is completely and utterly fucking destroyed? Like... Come on, guys, you knew the bridge was already fucking falling apart as you were going across it. How did you not think that it wouldn't be standing at this point? And of course, it's not just because it's a piece of shit and nobody maintains the thing, especially since there's a house that looks like a goddamn piece of shit that's in the middle of nowhere over here. And that's definitely not being like, kept up, but somehow... Some way, it has fucking electricity. That's what always bothers me about this goddamn movie. Is like in the beginning when they sit down to have dinner, they're making fucking margaritas. Yet they have like lamps everywhere and they're using the fire. But they never reference the electricity of anything ever fucking again. Where are the fucking power lines? Is it an underground power line? Is it coming from the sky? Is it being fucking what is that key power to where the fuck it is when you have wireless charging for your fucking phones like how does this place have any power and it only has it for that one small section of the movie the rest of it's all powered by fucking fire oh boy anyway so the bridge is down ash decides that hey i need to go outside i need to make sure that everything is okay and then when he doesn't return almost instantly cheryl freaks the fuck out Runs outside and then sees that the bridge is completely destroyed, and then accidentally runs back into her brother Ash over there, uh, where they go back to the house, and then shit starts to get really fucking real.
2: has become host to a Kandarian demon. I fear that the only way to stop those possessed by the spirits of the book is through the act of bodily dismemberment. I would leave now to avoid this horror, but for myself, I, I have seen the dark shadows moving in the woods, and I have no doubt that whatever I have resurrected through this book is sure to come calling for me. Okay, uh, let me think. Um it's a seven. What suit? Um, diamonds. Uh, No, no, wait, um, hearts.
1: Oh, my God, seven of hearts, you're right! (gasps) Hey, Ash, I guessed the card right.
2: Yeah, truly amazing, Linda. I don't know, I don't know, but I think it's really some sort of extra sense or something, you know, like ESP? Okay, try this. Okay, um, it's a seven.
1: I don't believe it! Of spades.
2: (laughs) Queen of spades.
1: Four of hearts. Eight of spades, two spades, jack of diamonds, jack of clubs! Why have you disturbed our sleep, awakened us from our ancient slumber? You will die! Nightmare is before you. One by one, we will take you.
0: So she's now fucking possessed. Like, it's fucking ridiculous that it didn't take very long. All she had to do was get a little bit of uh, tree groping going on. And all of a sudden she's completely possessed by the demons of the whole forest. Or at least the section that we're in right now. It's kind of ridiculous when we lead up to everything, especially with Linda with the whole card thing, okay? Because her friend is totally, like, just letting her fucking guess that everything is right. It's like, she's like, diamonds, no, 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 wait, hearts. Well, you got it right the first fucking time. It was fucking diamonds. But then you're like, seven of fucking hearts and it's an eight of fucking diamonds. What the hell is wrong with you? Just tell her, dude, you do not have ESP. But, of course, then they get fucking freaked out when, you know, Cheryl over there fucking turns and starts floating in the fucking air. We also have Ash... He knows that something is really weird going on, so he wants to listen to more of the tapes and kind of get more information of what's kind of going on in the area. So he's busy there, like really uninterested in what's going on, but he does learn that he had to, the dude had to kill his wife, and the only way to do it is to dismember them. So what the fuck have we turned into? Fucking Dead Space now? We got Necromorphs fucking walking around everywhere? But no, this is probably where they got some of the idea for that game from, came from this movie. It's really weird when you think about a couple of these things, because you're really not sure where somebody might have gotten the idea for something like that, and boom, it's very easy to find out that, hey, they definitely were influenced by this film here. So... Cheryl, she starts floating around and starts attacking everybody. Well, first, before she really starts attacking people, she collapses at that point when she finishes it. And Ash decides to go over there and walk over there, make sure that she's okay, because hey, it's his sister. He wants to make sure that everything is all right. So while he's over there looking at her, she's slowly reaching over for a pencil. Linda is also coming over because she's worried about her friend, too. Whether or not it's Ash's sister, that's still her friend. So as she gets closer, Cheryl, she takes the pencil. And the one thing that I hate, and I mean absolutely fucking hate watching when it comes to violence on anything, are things going into people's feet. I joke about the whole dick thing, man. You know, you don't shoot people in the dick. You don't stab them in the dick. You don't maul them in the dick. You don't do a lot of things. You know what you really don't do? You don't do anything to a person's feet. I hate it. My feet are just they're aching right now cuz I'm thinking about the scene. I'm thinking about other scenes where you see the nail go into somebody's foot or or even in Warlock, you know, where they had the he took the the thing and was stabbing into her foot at the end of it and that wasn't even that realistic. Here it just fucking drags. She stabs her in the fucking ankle with the pencil and she is just oh Digging it in and turning it and twisting it and just the blood is coming out and it's the first like real like gory gory scene that you get to see in this film and it's just so like fucking it's brutal to me. I have a hard time fucking watching the scene just because my feet even right now my ankles they're just on fucking fire because I'm empathetic to that pain right there. Like, I can feel it just in my feet. If I look down, I would almost think that my feet were just bleeding and gushing blood like Linda's were. So, while they're able to stop her from stabbing through Linda's feet, she starts trying to attack everybody. And he ends up flipping her and tossing her directly into the cellar to where Scott gets on top of the uh, door and is able to latch it shut with the chain. And now we got Cheryl from the basement trying to break the chains and basically taunting them they take Linda and they put her into the other room and they basically try to get her some rest and stop the bleeding from happening. And that's when we come back into the living room and we hear more about what is really freaky about Cheryl.
2: Ash, I think we ought to get out of here. Yeah. Tell him a few more hours before morning.
1: I don't think I can wait that long. You have to. We all have to. And then in the morning, we'll get in the car. And we'll take the bridge.
2: And does she keep
1: making those horrible noises? I don't know.
0: So Shelly here, who happens to be Scott's girlfriend, by the way, I can't believe I forgot to mention what her fucking name is the entire time, and it wasn't because I fucking forgot what her name was and finally fucking looked it up, but... Nonetheless, she's just freaking the fuck out. She's really becoming paranoid about what's going to be coming on because she looked at what happened to Cheryl over here and her eyes have become white, her flesh has become decayed in some way, shape, or form, and she's basically become a deadite. Now, this film doesn't necessarily describe what these monsters are or calls them by the name Deadite. But that's eventually the name of what these become as the film series moves on from Evil Dead, the second one, to Army of Darkness, to the Ash vs. Evil Dead series, right? So I'm going to primarily use that from now on. So instead of like the Kara demon or whatever it's called, whatever they give it. But it's a deadite, is basically what this is. So she's become a Deadeye, Uh Cheryl has. And now she's locked in the basement. Scott tries to comfort Shelly and takes her back to the room. And then he comes back out, you know, basically to check on everything that's going on with uh, everybody else and to try to find something that they can do, basically, what may have happened to Cheryl. And. To make sure that Linda, that she's okay. While Shelly's in the room, she's attacked by a deadite that busts through the window. And basically possesses her at that moment. Scott hears her yelling, runs into the bathroom. Is unable to find her, well first in the room, then in the bathroom. And then he's attacked by poor Shelly, who has been turned. And basically they tussle around the room. Uh, and Ash tries to lend a hand, trying to stop it. Eventually it gets to the point where you know, they've gotten to like, there's a lot of fake outs that kind of happen. They knock her out. She's not necessarily out. She still attacks back. Uh, Ash ends up getting an ax and she's walking towards them and she's taunting them. And basically, you know, Scott, he's saying hit her, hit her, but Ash, he can't attack her, which forces Scott to actually start the dismemberment of Shelly. Hit, <laughs> hit it! Yeah! <laughs>
2: we gotta do we're gonna bury her you can't bury Shelly she's a she's a friend of ours Ah, she's dead Shelly's dead we gotta bury her now
0: The whole sequence is really fucking ridiculous, and there's some really good parts to that scene. One of the things I really love in that scene is the fact that, you know, Cheryl, she's watching her possessed self, is watching from the basement. And she's just giddy the entire time, especially every time Scott gets it or Ash gets it, whether they're thrown into, like, a shelf. There's one point where, you know, Ash is thrown into a shelf. Like I just said, <laughs> and she like, he's struggling to get up and you can just see and hear the excitement on the face of Cheryl underneath the, the basement covering or whatever it is. Uh, and it's just nuts because again, here we go to this scene and Ash is just kind of a scared kid at this point. And he's telling him, he's like, hit her, hit her as she, he, she's approaching and he can't swing the ax. And, you know, he grabs the axe from him and starts just slaughtering his girlfriend. Like, chopping her up, dismembering her, just like the tape said that they needed to do. And it's... Kind of an interesting scene. It's relatively gory because they show him like smashing down on the different body parts and them separating. And eventually you see that all the pieces of Shelly's body are just all over the pace and he's managed to dismember it completely, taking off the legs, the arms and the head. Uh, and then, of course, the response is, well, what do we do? Well, we're going to bury her because she's our friend. It's just kind of a weird situation, but the whole scene is relatively fun and relatively quick paced as well. It's not like you're going to be hanging out a lot or there's a lot of reaching for stuff. They do use the, like that sacrificial blade or the ritual blade or whatever you want to call it in stabbing her in the back. And I love the beginning of it too, because when she first pounces on him, like he pushes her out of the way and she falls into the fireplace and she's burning up and she's like, no, 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 no. You know, and so he pulls her out, and she's just like, "Thank you for saving me. I really messed up my like my flesh." And I think she says something lines up. Your flesh is beautiful. Uh, we must have it, and that's when like a lot of everything goes down. But honestly, if you saw a demonic possessed person, that I guess maybe if it's somebody that you loved. I don't know, maybe I would push my wife into a fire if she was possessed by a demon or if she fell into the fire and she was dying. I don't know if I'd necessarily pull her out. She'd probably be upset that I'm saying that. But, I mean, if you're completely possessed by a demon and you're trying to kill me, isn't that the point where it's okay to, like, let you burn? Or am I supposed to, like, pull you out and then let you maul me to death? I'm pretty sure that she would say, "Let me maul her," or "Her let her maul me to death," uh, when it comes to these situations. No, I don't want to burn. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> so y- you have him. He's totally distraught now. Scott. He just he wants to get out of there. He wants to get away. Ash is really worried about Linda. He sees her over in the other part of the room, and of course, when he comes back out to talk to Scott, Scott's initial response is, "You just need to fucking leave Linda here."
2: Linda's still sleeping. I think once her leg... I'm getting out of here. Scott, we can't take Linda anywhere with a leg like that. We don't even know if there is any other way back besides the bridge.
1: Well, maybe there's a hiking trail or an old road or some other way around the cliff. I mean, there's
2: got to be another way besides the bridge. Listen to me. Linda cannot walk with a leg like that. She can't even stand up. Well, then we'll leave her here until we can send somebody back. What, are you crazy? look i'm getting
1: out i don't care what happens to her she's your
0: girlfriend you take care of her i'm getting the hell out of here right now so scott leaves to try to find a way out and ash so distraught goes over and checks in on linda and linda has now been like she's still incapacitated You know, and she's laying there under the blanket. So he lifts up the blanket and he sees her ankle. It's still with the giant hole, but all of a sudden, like a plague, it just spreads up her leg and she becomes a deadite. Now that she has, I guess, an open wound, that's the way that she's being able to be infected. I'm not exactly sure how they're doing it, but I really like the stop-motion effect that happens there when you see her leg slowly get infected, or I guess it's relatively quickly get infected by uh the madness that's going around. And so she starts laughing, he starts backing out of there like Homer going into a bush, and then all of a sudden, you know, we hear a little bit from Shelly, or not Shelly, but Cheryl under the stairs.
1: All of you will be like me. And then he'll lock you up in the cellar? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I just love that little scene right there. just <laughs> it's really short, normally, I don't add something so short, but the reason I like it is just because of the choice of the dialogues like soon you'll all be like me, me, and then who will you put down in the cellar or who'll be there to put you down in the cellar? It's really ridiculous. uh it's part of that like comedy that exists inside of this movie um and I really do enjoy the little scenes with Cheryl when she pokes fun there at Ash. Especially since they're fucking related. There's even a little scene later on where she starts talking about how I'm your sister, I'm your sister. So from here we go and we see that Linda she's now come out and she's been possessed as well, and she's sitting there and she's just fucking laughing. While she's laughing, Scott he enters in through the house after he's tried to escape and he is in really, really, really bad shape.
1: Help me Help. Help Did you... oh. Oh.
2: Oh. 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 oh, Scotty, you're gonna be okay. You're gonna be just fine. You'll see.
1: Ash, it's not gonna let us leave. Sure. Cheryl was right. We're all going to die here.
2: No, we're not going to die.
1: We're all going to die. All of us.
2: No, we're not going to die. We're not going to die. We're going to get out of here. Now listen to me, Scotty. Is there a way around the bridge? Scotty, listen to me, please, for God's sake. Scott! Come on.
1: Ash, I don't want to die. You're not going to leave me, are you, Ash? Are you? I don't want to die. You're not going to leave me here, are you? Are you, Ash? (laughs) Scotty, now come on, listen to me, for God's sake. Is there a way around the bridge? There's a way. The trail. But the trees, Ash, ain't no... Don't you
0: see? Ash, they're alive. So Linda keeps laughing at him, and I love how Ash is solution for everything. When anything is going wrong, whenever he needs to get somebody back to the senses, he just fucking slaps him slaps him like he slaps scott twice then he goes up to linda who won't stop fucking laughing at him in her dead-eyed like laugh and her little kid voice and then she he just fucking wails on her twice as well just slaps her two different times shut up shut up and so she, she ends up kind of coming to her senses when like he goes and gets the gun cause like you have to kill her you have to kill her Ash and he grabs the gun and then as he's pointing it at her that's when she turns back into the old Linda and Cheryl also kind of turns back
1: oh Ash help me please
2: No, I I won't. I won't, I promise. Ashley. Ashley, help me. Let me out of here. Ashley. Ash, help me. Let me out of here. I'm, I'm all right now. I'm all right now, Ashley. I'm all right. Unlock this chain and let me out.
0: He's unable to stop her, and then she turns back, and it's like, come on, dude. Are you that fucking stupid? I get it. You think that maybe something might have changed? Maybe they released possession of her? Hell no. Because even after everything is said and done, he goes to unlock the fucking basement with Cheryl down there, and she's like... Oh, come on. Everything's okay. I'm your sister. I'm your sister. Everything will be okay. I don't know why she got this accent all of a sudden in the middle of nowhere. But she's got it. So don't worry. I'm going to be nice to you. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm back to normal. Everything is fine. Ha ha ha. Like busts through with the hands. And then tries to grab him. And begins laughing at him too. And then Linda's turned back. And she starts attacking. So he knocks her down. Drags her out outside throws her outside comes back into the house and then she ends up coming back to the house and they struggle for a bit as well he eventually stabs her with the ritual dagger that they have there and then she knocks the fuck out and you know cheryl underneath the stairs over there she is just laughing her ass off and she's like oh you can't do anything about it and you get one of my favorite like little scenes and it's just a short little scene and it's really you know i wish he had gone through with the whole thing but just the way that it's set up is really fucking fun because he goes and drags her ass over into the shed And throws Linda's body on the table because he needs to dismember her, right? He finally remembers that part of the whole tale that you can't just shoot people and they won't just go away or you can't beat them up or stab them. You have to actually completely dismember them. So he straps her to a table. And it's just kind of the whole setup for the thing where he grabs the one chain and then he brings it over and you get the noise and it's locked next one chunk chunk locked and then locks her down and then raises it up and then you bring the chainsaw over and you hear the revving of the chainsaw and then you see her come like it seems like she's gonna come to life but he just can't bring it to bring it down and cut off her limbs and cut off her head he just stops and he's just like Oh, Linda, you know, I just can't do it. So what Ash decides to do is drag her ass out into the forest and dig a shallow grave for her. Yeah, because that's the same thing. Like, you realize what you had to do, okay? You have to dismember the goddamn corpse. It's not going to die any other way. Why? This is a fucking running problem with you. You don't do exactly what people tell you you're supposed to do. This is not just saying a set of words. It's literally just taking that chainsaw that you just had. I get it. She's the love of your life. You're always going to miss her. But right now, she's a fucking deadite demon. And she's going to fucking kill you if you don't chop off her fucking head. What the fuck is wrong with you? So, he tries to bury her in the ground. And this is what, like, the other part of that scene that I talked about earlier. Where he was hiding the little trinket from her. And pretending like he was asleep. Now it's exactly a role reversal here. So while he's busy, you know, digging up her grave, she's like looking at him. And then when he turns around to look at her, she closes her eyes. And then he does it again and again. And eventually he puts her in the grave and she wakes up and she kicks him and sends him flying. She comes to attack him and he has no other choice but to grab the shovel and cut off her head. Which he does. And the body lands on top of her. Uh, well, on top of him, I should say. And then you look at him and look over and her head's on the ground. Then her head's eyes pop open. The he- The body starts just gushing blood out of the top of the head all over his face. And this is going to be a running theme with poor Ash for the rest of the fucking series. He is constantly covered in a shitload of blood all the goddamn time whenever anything can kind of be pussed or spewed or whatever on top of him it's gonna happen to fucking ash and it fucking is hilarious every time so all the blood is being you know squished on him and the and the corpse is like it's weird because looking at it it just looks like it's just trying to spray a bunch of blood on him but a lot of the notes for everything says that the corpse is actually trying to rape him too i don't know I don't think that's happening. I'd like to think that that's not happening. So we're just going to say it's just trying to spread as much disease and, and blood and pus, or whatever it can, in milk, whatever the hell is spewing out of these guys uh, onto Ash directly. So eventually he does get her off and he runs back into the house. And that's when we find out that Scott, he's been, you know, he's back being, uh, now he's a deadite. He attacks poor Ash. Ash has to... You know, take his fingers and gouge his eyes out. Not before, though, he does go into the basement and he tries to find at least a weapon to, you know, he remembers that there's a shotgun downstairs, so something to protect himself because he's got to survive, he believes, survive until morning. And while he's down there, of course, things go really, really crazy. You know, he starts hearing voices and remembering things. Like, the projector starts projecting. There's blood coming from, like, the sewage pipes and everything. And he's just not having a good time at all. We're
1: gonna get We're gonna get Shut up, Linda. We're all gonna die. Shut up. Oliver, shut up. Gosh, so how sweet of you.
2: God got to give me, Linda. So the act of... Bodily dismemberment. Hit her. I really
1: like it. Hit her! I love it. HIT IT!
0: So now he thinks that he has a chance to escape. He goes back upstairs, and we find that Cheryl has left the basement, you know, because he was able to go down there just a second ago. And the fact that Scott is, once again, back up and now attacking. So they're basically, he's getting tag teamed by the two of them. And he does shoot, you know, Cheryl a couple of times, thinking that's going to stop it. But of course, she continues to attack him. uh Like I said, he does, you know, press out Scott's eyes with his fingers. But again, Scott continues to beat the crap out of him. Ash is constantly getting the shit kicked out of him as well in this entire series. Like he's never really left to his own devices. He's always got somebody beating him up for whatever reason it could possibly be. So eventually he does get himself trapped on the floor, you know, he's about to be killed by poor Cheryl, the deadite version of Cheryl, while Scott is holding on to him. And he's trying to grab the book because he notices that the book is actually has been caught on fire a little bit. And so it looks like it's actually doing something to the deadites at the same time. So he thinks that if he can destroy the book, then maybe can stop everything from happening. So he tries and he's using the little, uh necklace that he bought for Linda because he kept that when he was gonna go dismember her and he's trying to throw it and basically hook onto the book, which honestly I don't think would work. Like it's not strong enough to pull that big of a book and that heavy of a book. But for some reason it fucking works. I don't know how, I don't know why it just does. And so he's able to grab the book and then toss it in the fire and both Cheryl and Scott deadites. They both completely melt in gory filled, like stop motion claymation. It's fucking awesome. I absolutely love it. Um, you know, I know I'm going through a lot of these like action sequences and stuff really quick, but it's hard to kind of, you know, give you an idea what it is when you really should be watching it. Um, But nonetheless, so he rises up, he looks at everything, he hears a couple of last words before he goes outside, sees the morning sun, and then there's a little bit of a twist ending here at the end of the film. So, I'm sorry that was a little bit choppy there. I didn't realize it was going to be as choppy as it ended up being. But, you get the gist of the way the film ends. It's like, he hears the voices, he gets, uh, you get the nice cheery music, then all of a sudden you go back into Dead Eye Cam, into Demon Cam, or whatever you want to call it. And then it sneaks up, goes through the house and basically goes after ash and the film itself ends and then there's a lot of like nice happy music but i liked ending it right there with him screaming instead so that is the evil dead um it is a very fun movie now i think this is probably going to clock in at one of my shorter reviews just because there is so much crap that's happening in this film and I really fully believe, like, if you're listening to this, I think that you've heard it or you've watched the movie before. Um, And, you know, you can kind of fill in some of the blanks that are there. But you really do need to see the film. If you've never seen the film, I would totally suggest that you go see the film. You can go through it like this, but those specific scenes, especially, like, the way that everything is put together, how much gore is in this film with the budget that they have and how much they actually, and how well it looked... It really is a well-done film, but it definitely is, you know, an indie piece. It's definitely something that is, like really raw in the way they did a lot of the stuff and from what i even remember a lot of the people there was a lot of discomfort and there was some injury that happened with a lot of the set because they had to do a lot of things themselves they didn't have a huge staff i mean the film was made for an estimate like like i said between 350 and 400 thousand dollars which isn't a lot to make a film it's very minor for what they did with the special effects for what they did with the plot the way you know the film is a really good length as well it's only about an hour and 25 Five minutes. It's well done for as being as much of an indie film as it is, uh, and for being a horror film. So, do I recommend the film? Of course I do. This is something I think all four of them, I'm just gonna say it right now, you should be watching all four of these films. Uh, it's definitely for different reasons you should watch all four of the films, but they're definitely worth a trip down either nostalgia lane or just to get a different perspective on everything that's going on. So, in rating the film, um, I'm going to give the gore factor. It's a four out of five. There is a lot of blood. There's a lot of dismemberment. There's a lot of blood flying in poor Bruce Campbell's face uh, over other characters. There's the tree scene. There's there's so much that for... It, it looks cheesy nowadays, right? For some parts of it. But and it really is way over the top. But the gore factor for 1981 is really high. So that's why I rate this film a four out of five. The crap factor, I would give it originally I was give it a two out of five. I'm actually gonna say it's a three out of five. I've changed my mind a little bit because there is some still some issues with the acting. Uh there could have been more thought into some parts of the story. I understand you're making a movie on a very, very minor budget. You're only fitting as much as you can. It truly is, like I said, an independent piece there's a couple of times where the makeup looks absolutely terrible like when shelly she gets knocked down by the axe it's obviously a dummy like it looks like it's walking and then he hits it and just Fucking crumples right away. It's absolutely terrible. And then when Shelly, she also gets headbutted in the face with the shotgun, you know, it's the same thing. It looks absolutely terrible. The dummy that they use, it's really fucking obvious. And then the makeup on Linda is not the great like the greatest in the world. So but then you have some really great scenes like feats, like the whole tree scene. As disturbing as it is, it actually looks really great. The way that they did it and how they did the makeup for everything, I think it's fantastic. The practical effect was really good. And I even like the dismembered body. It looks really cheesy, but at the same time, I think it looks pretty good. So, a good 3 out of 5 on the the gore or the crap factor for the movie. The fun factor, it's a 4 out of 5. This is a very fun film. It doesn't take itself very seriously. It's not meant to be taken that seriously seriously. It has its comedic moments. I think that they tried to go a little more serious than it should have. And some of that campiness is a lot of the charm to the film. That they may try to to do things serious that came out a little extra campy when it came to the film in general. So I really enjoy it. I think it's a lot of fun for you to watch. So overall, I'm going to give this 4 out of 5 rape trees. Um, It's just very, very fun. I think that... Again, everybody should watch this film, even if you're not a big fan of it. I think that you understand its place inside horror cinema, and just cinema in general. Uh, For a film to be so independent that it caught the eyes of Stephen King, which actually helped fund, and is the main reason why we have The Evil Dead Part 2, you know, it's amazing to see that he's had such a legacy past this film being done. Now, with that being said, we're going to begin to look at our next feature film. And because it is October, and, you know, we're going to, I don't know, I still don't know what I want to call this. I think I'm just going to call this Ashtober, since we're in Ashtober now. Um, (laughs) We're going to look at another different version of The Evil Dead.
1: that book something evil this thing is attached to me as soul (laughs) we're gonna have to kill her you are going to die tonight
0: right we're gonna look at 2013's version of the evil dead and like i said before in the last episode i am gonna do a bit of a jump like a lot of people probably would have done the other two or done it in sequential order of when they were released but really i want to talk about that film and it being a direct sequel not necessarily sequel but like reboot sequel redo whatever you want to call it to this film because with the evil dead, so fresh in your mind, it's going to be good to actually kind of talk about what they did and what they kind of changed or what the ideas were when we came to rebooting this franchise and trying to do something new with it. Uh, Fair warning. I don't hate that version of the movie. Uh, I really do enjoy it. I think that there's a, I've said it plenty of times before. So You know, you should know this already going into it, that I'm going to take a... It's going to be a fresh look at the film because it's been, uh, I don't know, six years since I've seen it last. uh, And the last time I saw it, like I said, was on a plane. And I'll probably tell that story once again. But, you know, that's just me. I like retelling stories uh, like my father in that way. But it's... uh, It's going to be a lot of fun, uh, and and I really wanted to talk about this film a while ago, even with some people's kind of negative connotations on it. And who knows, uh, maybe I'll change your mind some when we look at the film, you know, or you'll see it from my perspective uh, and still have a better, you know, appreciation for the film. That's all I hope or be interested in seeing again, seeing if you still feel the same way or not you know, that's what I'm trying to do here. Trying to have some fun and watch uh, the dog sleep on top of my wife over there on the couch. (laughs) So, um, yeah, with that being said, I do want to, uh, go ahead and give, you know, uh, the thanks to everybody again for making this season, uh, start off with a bang with warlock. And, uh, I hope you guys are really going to enjoy the, this whole month of October. And of course the, uh, 31 and 31 little mini reviews that are going on on the IGTV and the YouTube channel. If you don't know how to find those, you can always follow me on things like on Facebook, uh, terrible terror podcast on Facebook. You can also check out the Twitter channel at T underscore T underscore podcast. You can also check out, uh, Instagram and IGTV terrible terror podcast and YouTube terrible terror podcast. And that's where you're going to find all that stuff. So thank you guys very much for listening. Don't forget to go check out Evil Dead, and we'll see you next time. See you later.